not under the Kohler Revolution 360 Swirl Flush. Bang! You win. Better flush. Nothing gets in the way of God's goodness like jealousy. Nothing. When you and I find ourselves just in that place, it doesn't mean that something doesn't perk our interest and we go, ooh, that would be nice, whether it's a relationship, whether it's a, an item, whether it's a position, whatever. But when it kind of starts to grab our heart and the God's goodness in our lives is not apparent to us, that jealousy just uh, takes it away. It, it's almost like it evaporates. The struggle with jealousy is real, especially in our country. Uh, some of the marketing is all designed to make us dissatisfied so we get another thing, and it keeps that industry somewhere else these days going. So it's kind of hard-baked into our lifestyles. So it's real easy to get jealous. And then those, those personal things. Uh, I know uh, for Cindy and I, at least for me, uh, we had wanted to have a baby for a while, and uh, our youth pastor's wife was expecting before Cindy was expecting. And that kind of bugged me a little bit. Uh, I was definitely a little bit older, and it should have been our turn, but it wasn't our turn. So whatever it may be, uh, when we're not looking at God's goodness, jealousy can just uh, take over. And because of my situation, I became even jealous of this. Volkswagen Norway has built an office chair worthy of Captain Kirk. Engage. The car company says it wants to give office workers a sense of what it's like to have a van as a workplace. This futuristic chair comes equipped with five wheels that can take you for a spin around the office up to 12 miles an hour. It also comes with more amenities than most cars, including 360-degree collision avoidance sensors, a guided backup cam, a heated seat, party lights, and yes, even its own tow hitch. But before you grab your credit card, this is just a marketing gimmick. Volkswagen says the chair is only available as an exhibition model. However, it will be available for a test drive at various locations. I need one of those. That thing, you get the idea. Whether it's a different kind of job, uh, whether it's our home, whether it's just our income, whether it's our bodies, <laughs> whether it's our kids, and let's be fair, whether it's our parents. When we see something else out on the horizon, often it eclipses God's goodness in our own life. Um, I also have uh, somebody help me find, borrow a one of those eye walkers. Have you seen those? Should have had a picture up there for you. It looks like a peg leg, and you stick your leg behind you, and you hop around kind of thing. And 
And as I'm wrestling with that, I'm pretty frustrated, and I'm almost like coming up, I want to shake my hand at God. This is kind of a pain. I don't, I don't have time for this. I can't drive and all this stuff. And uh, then I realize there are other people that don't have a life. And all of a sudden, I'm going, wait a minute, God's goodness. Other, I said, what if this happened 100 years ago to my uh, doctor, and he just dealt with it? He, there was no chance of real recovery. You would always have a limp because it, it would never work right. Or what if you were born in a different country where I didn't have access to an MRI? I, I called, I texted in on Friday. Monday, I'm seeing a doctor. Monday afternoon, I'm having an MRI. And then Friday, I'm seeing another doctor and uh, getting another MRI. That just, you, you know, just... You know, so God's goodness gets eclipsed when there is a lot of jealousy. It's interesting, a wise king, you're probably familiar with him, Solomon, wrote these words. And if you know the life of Solomon, you're kind of in conflict as you hear it because he lived some things but didn't live a lot of the things that he actually, actually said. A heart at peace gives life to the body, but jealousy will rot your bones. Have you ever experienced the rot of jealousy? And it's internal. And it's interesting, there's even a hint to it, it affects your health. Some of us are wired when something bothers us, it affects us internally. We're tense, we're angry, we're depressed or whatever. And it affects just our physical body, even the way we eat and digest and all of that kind of stuff. So technically, not only does it affect our hearts and our disposition, puts a chip on our shoulder, but it also can affect us physically when we're not at peace. When we're not celebrating God's goodness, no matter how amount we have it. And, and the reality is, no matter who you are on the planted planet, theologically, and that's just a fancy word for you know, teaching and doctrine and those kinds of things about God, theology says all of us are experiencing the goodness of God to some measure. Just because you have oxygen in your lungs is the goodness of God of God. Just because you were born, even though you may have been born into just difficult circumstances, horrendous family or whatever it is, you're still you were born, that's the goodness of God. And when you and I let jealousy become a way of our life, some of us are maybe a little more prone to it, maybe it demonstrates itself much quicker. Some of us just let it boil in our hearts. Uh, we can become very uh, judgmental, we can become very reactionary. And that makes me think of this guy who let jealousy just bring him to a whole new level.
You may not put cement in your wife's car that she just won as a prize. But how quickly do we go from, you know, a guy got a basic job, wife, to jealousy. And it affects us. And we may not, we may not dare to do what that guy did. But showing that clip, there's, this, there's a negative side to that is the next time you get jealous, you're going to think, you just don't have the guts to do it, something bad like that to somebody else. How does jealousy affect you? How far does it run in your heart? And uh, does it rear its, you think it's not there, and it just comes on you? Or is it just a way of life, and you've got to always fight it? Well, as we're continuing on in our series, The Seeking King, David, a man after God's own heart, we're starting to see some things about him. We're starting to see some differences between he and King Saul. And if you remember, even David being the best, and some of us know the history of David, even David being the best that Israel has to offer still fails. And ultimately, this is pointing to God himself. This is pointing to Jesus Christ being the king. Uh, we look at our political system in our country, and uh, yes, it is, it's crazy, and we look to somebody maybe to save things, to set things right, and no matter who it is, it's not going to be right. It could be maybe a little righter, but it's not going to be right until Jesus is the king of a lot of hearts, and they live that way, and I hate to say that that falls on us. Do we live like Jesus as we interact with other Christ followers, as we interact with our world, where we live, where we play? Do we act like Jesus? Are we sweet? Are we nice? Uh, you know, sometimes I joke, it doesn't get any more complex than just being nice. And so uh, we just see that Jesus has to be the king. And for me, and I'm sure, probably not any of you, he needs to be king like hourly because I can drift so quickly. I can start off, Jesus is king, I'm following Jesus is whatever, and then all of a sudden something swoops in, and it's like out the window. But that's one reason I can't wait for heaven. Yes, heaven's going to be great, but I can't wait so that those, I don't have to like pray every morning, oh, let me not mess up today. How far will I make it? That will be out of my system. But anyway, so we're seeking the king, and so we see how jealousy plays into its heart. So we're going to be looking at chapter 18, verses 1 through 16. You can follow along on the screen. You can use one of those rack Bibles that you want. It begins on page 196. And if you don't have a modern translation Bible, feel free to take that as a gift from Seneca Community Church. And also there is the free Bible app that Life Church puts out, uh, version, and you can put that on any electronic device, have any version of the Bible that has reading programs. You just don't want to miss out on that. And so those are all designed to help us grow. Our mission is to make a difference in people's lives by leading them into a growing relationship with God through Christ. And you can't be growing and you can't be leading others if you're not growing, if you're not spending regular time with God. So 1 Samuel 18, verse 1. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David. And he loved him as himself. That's very interesting. Um, Jonathan, the next ruler of Israel, a stand-up guy. We've talked about that. He would have made an excellent king from my perspective. And some of us know the backstory. He will not be king. He knows the backstory that 
Saul is no, his family is no longer destined to have a dynasty that rules under God, Israel. He knows this, and so Jonathan knows this, and somewhere along the line, Jonathan becomes, and we'll see this later on, aware that David is the next king, and Jonathan is willing to serve side by side. If anyone has a right to be jealous, it's Jonathan. I mean, he's done nothing wrong. It's no big disaster. And in some ways, you know, you have no way of knowing this, but he was more even keeled. If Jonathan had been king, would he have had the same situation as David has years later? I don't know. But, uh, but there's possibility that that's the case. So Jonathan's in this place, and, and he's going to see, we see that no jealousy in him, not a jealous bone in his body, as they say. From that day, Saul kept David, this is after uh, Goliath, with him and would not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Some would open up the whole idea that this is a hint that there was an alternative lifestyle going on here. Absolutely not the case. There was never any thought of that until the last 20 or 30 years. It's kind of like come up that maybe that's what's going on, not going on. Again, man after God's own heart. David's closest friend is Jonathan, and I uh, just don't think that's going on. Jonathan took off his robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. And in a sense, he was saying, here are the things that symbolize I am the next king. I'm a prince of Israel. And he gives it to David. That's very symbolic, and it's not just reading between the lines that Jonathan in that act, after he had made the covenant, was saying, David, you're next king, I'm right alongside you. How many of you have ever been in the captain's chair, if you will, and whatever the situation is, you have to step back and be in the second seat or the third seat? How do you handle that? How do you handle it? Even especially when the person is qualified to sit in the captain's chair. How do you, how do you deal with that? Jonathan masterfully is not jealous. He's able to sit in the second, third, or fourth chair, and he doesn't have a problem. We're going to see even see that David, yes, he's ambitious, yes, all that, but he is comfortable being in not the center of things. And to have it and then to lose it is just so, so hard. Some of us have been working for companies where, um, you know, 20 years ago, we were on the cutting edge. We knew everything. We knew the technology. We knew this. We knew the, the mechanics behind the industry we're in. And as time has gone on, we've lost a little bit of our edge. And somebody else comes up. And they've got it. I know of a guy who's 25 who's leading a work group where they're all in their 45, 50 age group. And, and uh, you know, how does that work? And uh, he's, he's the leader. They're not. Jonathan's okay with that. Jealousy. Jealousy. Um, let's see. Okay, we leaving him whatever mission Saul sent him on David was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army this pleased all the troops and Saul's officers as well when the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing with joyful songs and with tambourines and lyres it's like 
It's like the parade when someone wins the Super Bowl. Just everyone's coming unglued, exciting, just wonderful. As they danced, they sung, Saul has slain thousands, yes, and David his tens of thousands. Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. They credited David with tens of thousands, he said, but we, we with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. You remember in an earlier battle, Jonathan went out and did all the fighting. And when everybody came back, Saul took all the credit. There's even a time where Saul built a little monument to himself. So, so it's just, it's just uh, you, you know, it's the, it's, he's not seeing it. How many times do you see an offense against yourself or someone else and you own it? But then at the same time, you can be involved in doing kind of the same thing. I hate when that happens. Happens to me. I'm on someone's case. I'm on blah, blah. And then all of a sudden I see the same thing happening in my life. I've shared my uh, nightmare. And sorry, Rusty, if you hear this. But uh, Rusty Spencer, a uh, locker mate of mine uh, from middle school right through high school. And uh, he was obnoxious and popular. It's my perspective. And I didn't like having my locker next to him year after year after year after year. Couldn't stand him. He wanted to be the center of attention all the time. And then one day, probably a junior, maybe a sophomore, it dawned on me that at church, I was just like Rusty. I was president of the youth group. We did those things back then. Isn't that kind of weird? And uh, this and that, and you know, we had this thing like boy, like uh, Cub Scouts. It was called Boys Brigade, and I, had, I don't know, I was some rank, and and I liked being the center of the attention. I liked my parents were well known at church, and and I, it, it all of a sudden it dawned on me, I am the same thing. I'm more polite. I don't say the same words he says. I don't go to the same parties, but I want the same thing. I've just dressed it up. Yikes. And that was the last time that happened to me. No, that's when I was 17. When's it happen in your marriage? When's it happen in your families? When's it happen at your workplace? When's it happen at your church? When's it happen in your community or whatever? Where you, in a sense, are doing the same thing or a shade of the same thing. Saul does it, no big deal. I'm king. David gets credit, he comes unglued. And as we're going to see, and I'm going to say this over and over again, Saul was his safest when David was at his side. Not because he could see what he was doing, because David would have laid down his life for Saul up until the end of Saul's life. If, Saul, if David had been on the battlefield with Saul when he loses his life, he would have lost his life and died right along with him. That's the kind of loyalty in allegiance he had, even though he will know that the kingdom is his. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. Man after God's own heart. Not perfect, but a man moving in that direction. A person moving in that direction. 
The next day, an evil spirit from God came forcefully on him. We've talked about that a couple weeks ago. He was prophesying in the house, and, you know, some said, was he giving new revelation? I don't think so. I think he was just uh, re-emphasizing God principles and that kind of thing. Uh, there's a real tie to what prophesying versus preaching is, sharing, declaring the message, the good news. Uh, obviously, good news not in the Old Testament, but those kinds of things. So I think that's what he was doing. So it's amazing. He's expounding God's stuff, God principles. Regardless, that's what he's doing. Uh, he, he's in this bad, bad, wicked place. And uh, while David was playing the lyre, it was more like kind of a guitar, I'm told, as he usually did. Saul had a spear in his hand, and he hurled it at him, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice, showing this has happened a few times. Well, it happened again. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David, but had departed from Saul. Now, just a little thing. Sometimes when you're pointing to Christ and you're doing it well, you will have people that don't like you. They, they, they pick up the vibe. And it's, uh, and it's hopefully it's not because you're being self-righteous. If you're being self-righteous, they ought to not like you. I'm all for not liking you if you're self-righteous. I heard someone talk about being a jerk for Jesus. <laughs> if that's you, you should be not liked. But if you're doing the normal stuff, walking with God, those who are trying to reject walking with God, you will irritate them. You're like sandpaper to them. And probably all of us can think of times where we've tried to do the right thing or we're doing the right thing. Or even we're just like in the room not even saying anything and it just bugs them. I remember in my shop class in high school, I had a student that was just beyond me. I just bugged him. And I was not like, I, I wish I spoke more about my faith. I really didn't say anything, but somehow he knew I was a Christ follower. And he just, just I just bugged him. And so that kind of goes with the, with the deal. If you want to follow Christ, you are going to bug people, but don't bug people because you're, you're a nice person. Don't say jerk-like things. So he sent David away from him and gave him command over a thousand men. And David led his troops in their campaign. And everything he did, he had great success because the Lord was with him. And we could say in parentheses, and he was with the Lord. When Saul saw how successful he was, he was afraid of him, even more petrified because of the jealousy of this guy is doing what I should be doing as a king. We talked a little bit about that on the battle lines with David and Goliath. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he led them in their campaigns. So no matter who you are, especially a Christ follower, you need to realize that God's goodness is crushed by jealousy. Crushed, worked out of your life, diminished, packaged up. Just think of something that is bugging you. You go, I wish I had this. I'm a little jealous of that. Or why, why you know, did I blow out my tendon and all those kinds of things? Who left a piece of the sidewalk missing? I want to find that person. There's always goodness from God in our lives, even in the worst of times. Corrie ten Boom talks about the fleas in her concentration camp barracks. 
And she said the fleas were eating them alive, but what it did to them was kept the guards out of the women's barracks. I don't have to go any farther. So they celebrated the fleas in their barracks. Wow, what a way of looking at life. And Corey Ten, I may be positive thinking, you know, Pollyanna, but Corey Tambu was living it. Living it, living it, living it. So so her authority on a matter like that uh, has has more weight. God's goodness is crushed by jealousy. So wherever jealousy and selfishness are uncovered, you will also find many troubles and every kind of meanness. James says this. I'm sure at times James was jealous of his half-brother Jesus. We joke about this often, you know, there's a fight, a squabble, you know, in the family room, right? TV, different channel, and James says, Jesus, and then Mary says, Jesus doesn't do anything wrong. He's perfect. You know, and you're like, ah, you know. So I'm sure there was some hostility there. So he writes this. Jealousy and selfishness are the two separated. Maybe there's too bad there wasn't a word. Maybe there is a word that says those two ideas together. I'm not going to try to make one up. But uh, you put those two words together and uh, are uncovered, you will find many troubles and every kind of meanness, unkindness. It's interesting, Jonathan, again, celebrates David's success. He celebrates his goodness. It's amazing that he does that. And in the beginning, Saul celebrates that. But there's a tipping point where it's just too much for Saul. So so David went to serve and began serving him. Saul loved David very much. And David became his armor bearer. That person at work, the subordinate to you, very talented, you're thankful they're on the team. And all of a sudden, one day, it moves from you're thankful on the team to you feel like they're gunning for your position. I always am amazed at these older gentlemen that are still leaders and they've learned how to have people more talented around them. Somehow their benefit to the organization is their ability to lead. Ability to bring the best out, even when the best makes them look small. But they actually look large because they're able to bring the best out in all these people around them. And uh, Saul was not that way. Jonathan is that way. He celebrates David, and we read those passages because Saul fears David, and we see what see what Saul does. Saul's keeping an eye on him because he's afraid of him. He's afraid of losing. He wants to be king, which yeah, but uh, he he's blown it. Uh, God didn't, uh, in a sense, just walk out on him the first time. He blew it. There, there's a process there. You can really see how Saul's heart is not owned by the Lord. I I, I think he was a man of faith. I think he had a relationship with God. I just think he built up walls and impulsively did what he felt was best. And uh, that often, most of the time, was separate from, uh, you know, following God. And uh, that that was the problem. He's a troubled Christ follower. And you and I, when we bring this up, we need to ask ourselves, are we troubled Christ followers? Are we in but not really in? That's a tough place to be. 
because nothing is going to satisfy. Nothing is going to feel good when you're kind of in, but not in. Because if you are a Christ follower, you have the Spirit of God joined to your life. Instead of having an evil spirit, you have the Spirit of God, and He directs and leads. And when you reject His leading, when I reject His leading, it troubles my heart. Sometimes you see people act out even more crazy because it troubles their heart. Because they're trying to medicate themselves. They're trying to fill that void in their life that is only reserved for God with other stuff. Trying to mix it up. And it just doesn't work. And that's really who Saul was. And he became so consumed with his jealousy. He, he's just, he's just, he, sen- he sends David off. And other passages talk about he sends him off hoping that he'll get killed. Let's send David to do that impossible thing. When he wins the hand of one of David's daughters, he sends him off to do something that he thinks is impossible because his plan is that David will not make it. He's consumed with jealousy. Oh boy, that's a hard place to come back from. I think it's a possible place to come back from, but it's a hard place to come back from. You need kind Christ falls in your life that will help you navigate and walk out of the deep woods of being consumed with jealousy. Everyone else loved him except for Saul. See, jealousy kills relationships, kills them from the inside out. You can look at these later, but there's just a number. We got Saul and David up there, but we've got a number of relationships. You could probably find more in Scripture where it kills the relationship. You see Rachel and Leah, then Leah and Rachel. And I, I think I got mixed, that mixed up in your notes, but it's, it is two situations. There's a time where Rachel and Leah, Rachel's jealous of Leah. It destroys their relationship, and then it flips around that Leah's uh, you know, with Rachel, it's it's going back and forth. And then you know some of the other ones. It also sours life. You want to be old grump, an old soured person? Let jealousy just rule your heart. We did the story of Esther series, I think it was last summer, the summer before. And we know about Haman, and Haman had everything at his fingertips. Not a nice guy, but still, he was rocking it. Life was good for him. But he couldn't stand Mordecai. All these good things are going on. You see the list there. And the first part of verse 13 says, but I can't enjoy any of it. Goodness in his life is eclipsed by jealousy. What in your life, what in my life, hopefully it's just a segment of life, hopefully it's not all of our life, what in my life am I not enjoying because I'm consumed by jealousy? Hard, hard stuff. There's always someone who has more or better or whatever than, than you, than me. And uh, when that becomes my eyes focused on that, then even what I have, we live in the minority world. The majority of the world lives in poverty, but not us. And yet we still can be jealous of others. See this in Rachel's life. We can look at that later. 
And then all of a sudden, it strains fulfillment, kind of going along with souring life. Nothing tastes good. Nothing is great. Just drains it right out. Can't taste it. You ever had a cold, or some people when they had COVID, you know their their taste. Some of you're still dealing with your taste, and it just nothing tastes good. They don't just don't want to eat anything. Just drains the fulfillment. And there was a food that you just thoroughly enjoyed, and now yuck. You don't even want to put it in your mouth. Even thinking about it uh, just uh, takes it all away. But as a Christ follower, we read, "Let everyone be sure to do his very best." For then he will have the personal satisfaction of work done well and won't need to compare himself with another person. Doing the job that's set before you. Not getting all bent out of shape that God has given somebody else something that seems a little bit more grand. Don't be jealous of others' blessings. You don't know the road it took them to get there. Sometimes it's just hard work. Sometimes it's tragedy. I am blown away by some of what I would say my successful friends and the tragedy they experienced in their lives. And their tragedy helped define them. The the family they were born in, which really wasn't a family, five boys, single mom, all, her mom was not even past 25. Just poverty, poverty, just horrible. And, and that helped put a drive in his life. That Then when he became a Christ follower, that drive was managed by following Christ and being generous. So, wonderful story. But you wouldn't have wanted to grow up. I wouldn't want to trade the Christmases and the good families around the table that I had for having mayonnaise sandwiches because there was no other food. Slap of Wonder Bread, day-old, some mayonnaise, that was dinner. So, so just realize the road that it took. That doesn't mean you shouldn't have ambition and direction and those kinds of things. But just don't, just don't think about that, that jealousy. It also changes good news into bad news. Ever been around someone who's so jealous and so grumpy that it doesn't matter what the good news is? They're jealous and turns a celebration into a pity party? Yikes. Jealousy does all that. We're told to do everything without grumbling or arguing. In the original language, that word everything, you wouldn't believe what it means. It means everything. That's it. Everything. You mean everything? Yes, it's everything. You don't have to parse that word. You don't have to do any more Bible studies. That's what it says. Do everything without grumbling and arguing. Live a cheerful life without complaining or divisions among yourselves. Watch this. Hey, guys, I got you each a gift. No way, Jesus. Why? Awesome. Well, I just love you guys, so I wanted to get you something. So nice. Laura, you first. Wow, this is so exciting. Oh, will you look at this, a little eight-ounce can of Coke? This is perfect for me. I looked everywhere to find a gift for you, and this just seemed to fit. I love it. Drew? Yeah, your turn. All right. <laughs> no way, Jesus. Seriously? Oh, yeah. 20 ounces of Coke? Yeah, baby. Woo! This is awesome. Oh, Jesus, thank you so much. You're welcome. Laura, we got to go show Richard our gifts. Come on. Okay. Hey, Laura, is there a problem? No. I mean, well... Yeah, kind of, you know, it's just that every time you give people gifts, you always give everyone else more than you give me. What do you mean? 
I mean, like I opened my gift and oh cute, eight ounces, and then Drew opens his gift and hello, 20 ounces. Oh, I know what you mean. Well, that gift is for Drew. Well, that's what I want. Uh, go get it for me. Okay, if that's what you want. Yeah. I got a liter. Whoa. I know it's one liter of God's sweet goodness. Jesus gave it to me. He did? Yes. <gasps> you know what? You're going to meet somebody with a bigger bottle, and you are going to be so mad. Whoa, check it out. I got an upgrade. Coke 3.0. That is awesome. I know. Well, isn't that just great? Yeah. Hey, Jesus, you rock. Yeah. Thanks, what Drew. What is wrong with you? Why are you holding back your best from me? I gave you my best. Don't you see what's happening here? You're letting everyone else's gifts steal your joy. No, Jesus, you are stealing my joy by giving everyone else more than you give me. Laura, I picked this gift out for you. That's what I wanted you to see. I don't care. Until you can look past this, all you're going to see is a can of Coke. You ever been there? You ever let somebody else's gift or whatever rob what you have? You're celebrating it and then all of a sudden someone comes in with something better? Now you are blessing the substandard? Jealousy just strikes. But goodness can crush jealousy. When we celebrate God's goodness to others. You saw the second situation with the Coke, and, and that lady was celebrating the goodness in another person's life. I told you earlier that youth pastor that was his wife was expecting and we weren't. And fortunately, it took a little while, but eventually I got to the other side and was able to celebrate that. Especially when I learned what diapers were all about. No, just kidding. But uh, celebrating God's goodness to others. And maybe it has to start on the outside, a little disgenuine. But eventually, your heart catches up with it. Don't, I mean, I'm not advocating being fake, but, but sometimes, you know, you got to do things even when you don't feel it. And then the feeling comes up. If someone has a cause to celebrate, join in the celebration. Celebration. He said, don't despair, my father. Saul can't lay a hand on you. You will be Israel's king, and I'll be right at your side to help. Who wrote those words? Jonathan. Unbelievable that Jonathan, I almost can't believe that's true. Because I see that so infrequently in my role and in my heart. You got the promotion, you got the goodie, you got the thing, you bought something, and all of a sudden you could turn around and make all kinds of money, and woo, and I could have done that, I missed the deal. I'm right by your side, celebrating, helping. Kind of leads us to the next one, embrace God's goodness to others. Embrace it. Know that uh, his goodness to others is just fantastic. 
And as you embrace others, you realize that even your goodness, who God made in you, is great. Because in the process of being made, we believe that you're not a chance, you're not just an accident or or whatever that God planned to have you brought into this world. We read this, you formed my innermost being, shaped my delicate insides and made my integral outside and wove them all together in my mother's womb. I thank you, God, for making me so mysteriously complex. Everything you do is marvelously breathtaking. It simply amazes me to think about how, about it, how thoroughly you know me, Lord. Knowing you before you were even born. I love that. Love that. Reading through Jeremiah, Jeremiah was all known before he even was placed on the planet. Do you believe that about Jeremiah? Do you believe that about David? Do you believe about, but do you believe it about yourself? Do you believe it about yourself that you are fearfully and wonderfully made? Embrace who you are so you can embrace who others are. Anytime you feel jealous, you are denying your uniqueness, which is a criticism of God's plan for you. You're saying, God made a mistake. I should have got that, or I should be that, or that person shouldn't have gotten that, or be that. It's a criticism of God's plan for you. And you own who God is has you to be. And I'm not talking about when you and I do something and we're reaping the consequences of it. That's our doing. Yet God is still gracious in those things. But do you own who you are? You see, jealousy resents God's goodness to others while ignoring God's goodness in your life. You almost can't be in both places at the same time. So I have to ask you today, do you resent God's goodness to somebody else? Because when you do, it eclipses, it ignores God's goodness in you. And you may have to deal with it. You may have to wrestle with that. You may have to say, God, why me? Change my heart. And if you haven't said yes to Christ yet, it all starts with that. That may sound a little arrogant, but I don't know if you can do this on your own. I think you need a higher power. I think you need God. I think you need a personal God, Jesus Christ. You need that king a part of your life. You need to say yes to him, acknowledge the need for forgiveness of sins, and that Christ uh, took care of that for you on the cross, rose again, so that you can have new life in him, which will help us with our jealousy. When you don't have Christ in your life, you don't have that help in your life. I encourage you to think about that. I encourage you to make that decision even today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your goodness to us. It really is good. You are good. I love that expression. God is good all the time. And I ask that that would be our experience, that we would live out of that joy. You've blessed our lives far more even at this point than, than we ever deserve. And it's unbelievable. Help us not let the blessings of others rob your blessing in us. Help us to be bigger people than that. And I ask that if there's someone here who's not said yes to you, in this moment they would say, Lord, 
come into my life, join my life. I want to follow you. I accept the gift of your son. And I want your spirit within me so that I have that used in me to navigate God's work. And for those of us who have already made that commitment, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for the conviction that comes from your spirit. We ask all of this in Jesus' wonderful name.